Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Fiction. Science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our word. 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 105.0 AM Palm Springs. Oh, welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren and it's Mr. Dave Martino. I'm back. You're back. Walking back now. for the attack. Yeah, back for the attack. <laughs> He's a walking man. Your car broke oh, yeah. down in the cold. Yes. No, at least it was right in front of my house. Well, yeah. That's you okay. Know. Could be worse. You could have been out yeah. 30 miles away from home. That's right. So middle I of count myself blizzard. lucky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, God, yeah. God. Uh, like it could be much, much worse. You know. A few times that I leave the uh, basement of the house of mystery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the auto auto lock opens for an hour. <laughs> for an hour, and that's it. And that's it. Be back in time, or Igor goes out looking. That's right. Drags me back. That's right. It's kind of strange. Well, Noir at the Bar is running and up and running. It's on our Seattle channel, uh, KKNW, 11.50. It's on Thursdays at 3.30 p.m. Here's some of your favorite authors read from their new books. Um, and it's in conjunction, conjunction, function, conjunction. It's a, yeah, it's in conjunction with Left Coast Crime, which is happening in Seattle, April 11th to 14th. So all the authors reading will be there. So you can listen to them, meet them, and get them to sign a book. Or you don't. I don't know. <laughs> be there. Be square. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway. Well, uh, we have got another author with us today, and we're going to be talking about her new book. And it's The Psychologist's Shadow. It's a simmering, slow burn suspense. Laurie A. Egan, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. That's, it, this is a repeat, I believe. We, we did another uh, chat a couple, about a year ago or so, I think. And it was a pleasure. 
Oh, yeah. Well, it's all a blur to me. I couldn't tell you the date. I'd have to look it up. <laughs> we got so many recordings going <laughs> week to week to week, year to year. You know, we do two, over 200 interviews a year for this show alone. Wow. So That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. My eyes are bleeding. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good thing, but. Uh, you know, meet a lot of people, learn a lot. So what's been going on with you this last year or so? I guess uh, you've been working, of course. Is that how long it takes you to put out a book like this? Do you do one about every year? Well, um, I can't really say because it really just depends on uh, where the, the contracts come in, the publishers, uh, my, you know, the schedule. What's happened to me this last year has been very interesting because I decided to try a British publisher, uh, Spectrum Books, and Andrew May wound up taking four manuscripts, which pretty much cleaned off my desk, <laughs> as you can imagine. And Andrew has been on a feverish pace with these, and he published a book of mine in August, The Firefly. And then The Psychologist's Shadow is the second book, and then that was followed in December by... Uh, two novellas, which are very literary and strange with magical realism and sort of Orlando-esque touches. And then I have another book coming out in the late spring. So I've been really busy, and <laughs> uh, Andrew was keeping me uh, stuck on the computer, I think. <laughs> well, you know, it's a good thing, you know, if, it, you know, the... One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Demand for something is good, you know, in a way, you know, do it while you can. Well, that's very much the point. (laughs) I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good thing, you know. Uh, So tell us, let's get into this book here. What is the basic premise for readers? So when they're going to pick up the book, kind of what's what's the storyline? Well, this is about a young uh, uh, therapist, uh, Dr. Ellen Haskell, and she had a practice in New York City and then had a very traumatic experience with one of her clients and then decided she just couldn't couldn't stay there. So she moved to Princeton, where her parents live, on the outskirts of town in Hopewell on a 10-acre wooded lot. And she is in the process of setting up a new practice in Princeton, right in town. And uh, so as we get to know her clients, this has become a very interesting uh, part of the book because uh, you actually sit in on sessions or little parts of sessions. And everything is going along pretty well. And then all of a sudden, Ellen starts receiving hang-up calls. Now, this is set in 1992. So this is, you know, back in the old days before cell phones, et cetera. And so she was getting these calls and nobody was there. It was just like, you know, a click. And then there were presents that started to appear on the steps to her second-floor office. And then, more frightening yet, Things started happening at her home, and her parents are now gone. They're in, in uh, Greece on a long va- vacation, so she's by herself there. So the idea is is that as Ellen begins to become aware, she's got a follower, so does the reader, and as a result, you know, the reader has to put on a thinking cap and try to figure out, okay, who is the uh, stalker? And then, as I was saying, interspersed in between the uh, main narrative, uh, there are journal entries that are very short, about a half a page, written by the stalker. And so as a result, you've got this sort of eerie, strange, discordant um, counterpoint uh, to the main narrative. So that's sort of the structure. And things just sort of slowly start boiling and, you know, heating up as, as Ellen becomes more fearful and aware she's got a serious problem. Now, uh, one thing I, uh, a couple of things I noticed. So in this, you say that you actually, uh, it's like sitting in a session. You've got these sessions that are happening. So how do, how do you come up with that setting in a way of dialogue? Like, how do you create it? Did you uh, go to settings? Your, did you go to sessions yourself? Or did you know someone doing it? Or how does that happen? Well, I started out in... Um in college and university, and I took quite a bit of abnormal psychology, uh, and we did case studies, which I I love doing, and I was I have to say I was really good at them. Uh, and then I've always kept up a bit on psychology, and I you know I've had friends and lovers that are therapists, and I've had you know my own personal therapy sessions. So I have sort of borrowed a little bit from everybody and all my various experiences. And what I've tried to do is for each of these clients, I try to create a presentation, a backstory, their history, 
you know, how they would dress, how they would talk, what their mannerisms would be, and try to be very consistent with whatever uh, they're presenting as their uh, psychological problem. So each of the characters is very different in age. Um, Helen enjoy, I mean, Ellen really enjoys doing work with creative people, so there are quite a few of those in here. Uh, and they're, you know, a real mixed bag of different different types. So that was really the, the background for me, but it was so much fun to do. It really was. It was a challenge, but fun. You must have studied my case then if you were doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when you, when you sat in these sessions, so whose point of view are you give, giving there? Like, who are you, whose perspective are you writing it from? Is it from the doctor? Yeah, this is definitely uh, told from, except for those journal entries that are by the stalker. These are, you know, the whole story is really a portrait of Ellen and her experiences. So, you know, the reader encounters uh, these various things that happen to her, you know, as she experiences them. So you, do you like writing from first-person point of view? Uh, is that kind of your favorite? I do, uh, but I wouldn't say it's my necessarily my favorite. Sometimes I use it in different ways. Like um, I have the book that's coming out in the spring, Jack and I, is about a boy with uh, disassociative identity disorder. So what I did was the host personality, um, Jack, is written from first person, and the alter, the alternate personality, is written in third person. And I wanted to, you know, create that uh, juxtaposition, but also the difference. Uh, so sometimes I will do that uh, very deliberately. Uh, so I wouldn't say I have a favorite. I like doing both. Do you find that difficult to do in, in the same book without confusing the reader? I don't think so, because I usually separate them, either in different chapters or, you know, with text breaks so that the reader knows and the pattern is established so the reader knows you know who, you know who the narrator is who's 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 so called talking well, why 1992? Why that year for a setting? I know that was a great year for me because I I met my wife that year so congratulations <laughs> oh they, for him yeah yeah for me <laughs> well I I wanted to get past uh the cell phone era or the uh you know the time when internet came in because that those two things really, really affect how an author, particularly an author of crime fiction or mysteries, it's really hard because the constant connectiveness and the connection to uh, information uh, is really uh, an impediment, uh, whereas the old-fashioned way of sleuthing, it, I, I find much more interesting. So I often uh, avoid present day work uh, just because I think it's I, I, I like the sort of solitary quality of uh, and the disconnection from other people. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Do, do you have to do a lot of research into the 90s when going back and, and writing a thriller of this type? I know I have something that I'm writing right now that takes place then and I'm, I'm actually going back because I have to jog my memory a bit. <laughs> No, Laurie's so young. She's, you know, she's only 20. She needs, of course she has to. <laughs> no, <course>. not quite. <laughs> um, I have to double check certain things, like, you know, when a film came out that might have been important or music or uh, sometimes uh, certain items, particularly technology. You know, for example, I'm working on a book right now uh, set up roughly in this period. And, you know, what did we have? We, we had those Motorola box phones, for example, uh, where you could plug it into your <laughs> cigarette lighter or whatever. And, 
<laughs> you know, so, you know, to try to be accurate about those. Uh, and I'm also working on something where there's a murder. And, you know, what the police were able to do in terms of DNA, the speed and the accuracy and, the you know, what they would do about, you know, crime scene stuff. A lot of that's very complicated to find out uh, in hindsight. And okay, so now your your main character, uh, your Dr. Ellen Haskell, um, where does she come from, and how would you describe that character? Well, she grew up in the city, uh, and her parents got jobs at Princeton University. They're both retired now, so they've they've built a house out in the country. Um, you know, very secluded, modern, lots of glass, of course, <laughs> just to make it a little creepier. Uh, Ellen is a very Empathetic woman, very smart, very intelligent. Uh, she's fairly brave uh, in many ways. So when when she starts to see that she's got a stalker, she does contact the police in both her home area as well as in Princeton. But because of the nature of being a therapist, she's not supposed to really disclose a lot of information about her clients. So she's sort of in a bind because she doesn't really quite know how much information to provide to the law enforcement people. So uh, I think she's a very interesting character. She's um, I, I like her a lot. She's got she's got some uh, courage and curiosity and a lot of really good attributes. Right. And I, I would imagine, of course, she's got the stalker that comes, but you, you also must try to challenge your character throughout the, the work, right? Each chapter, there's always some sort of new thing to go through. Or do you do it that way? Well, I, I write organically. So I sort of, you know, I knew what the end zone was, but I didn't know quite how I was going to get there. And, you know, it's interesting when you're writing characters, I think you've got to let them you have to get to know them just like you would if you were making a new friend. And so as a result, uh, that's also what Ellen has to do here is that she's got to get to know these new clients of hers. And they, they're very different. So she, she does have a bit of a struggle with that as any therapist would. Uh, and I think she's, I think it's very interesting. I think each of these characters is very interesting unto themselves. And as she, as some one character may drop something that resonates with her concerns about this stalker, she thinks, well, maybe that's the person that's following me and leaving me messages on the phone. But then maybe the next one says something or does something or reports a dream that uh, makes her wonder. So there's this constant process of her going through uh, in the sessions and trying to focus on the client and what's going on. But also, secondarily, she's got this other thing running in the back of her mind about, well, wait a minute, is this the person that's following me? Well, since you're writing organically, you know, by the seat of your pants, uh, do do the characters ever surprise you and do they kind of all the plot, you know, along with them as they, as they go? Well, I think you have to be honest with uh, the characters are are going to grow unto themselves. And that's something that I really try to be very careful about uh, letting them do that, because otherwise it won't won't work. The dialogue won't feel genuine or authentic. You know, as I said, with this book, I had an end idea. I don't always, but uh, I really tried to to understand each of these clients and any other characters in the book said so that they felt very much themselves and different from the other ones. So there's, there's not a sameness to the, the texture of their personalities. 
Well, and how do you how do you go about the dialogue? Let's let's say, um, especially when you've got so many characters, you've got all these people, uh, you know, going in for sessions and stuff like that. So do you do you write each one independently and then put them all into the room, or do you? How does that work for you? How is that set up? Well, I you know I created a schedule so, as a therapist would. You know, she would have her Monday clients, Tuesday clients, etc. And then because she's just starting this new practice. She's got, you know, I think it's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. Uh, so I followed the um, rotation of the clients. And so each each section is is that. And, you know, maybe multiples. Like it could be the afternoon clients, for example. Uh, and I wrote each one separately, but uh, they all, you know, they it flows together because she's seeing them in her office like that. And, and so, and I have to ask, so... Um, your main character, Ellen Haskell. How do you see that character? Do you uh, how do you experience that character, and w- what would you consider that character? How do you how do you describe the relationship? I I really like this character a lot. Um, it's, you know, I think most authors tend to like their protagonists unless they're the bad guys, which I sometimes write too. But uh, I, I was just very impressed with her calm and her ability to sort of stay focused, not only in sessions, because that's a really important attribute of a therapist, but also when she's on her own and she's dealing with, you know, being by herself and being solitary because she's, you know, doesn't know anybody in the area really. And her parents are gone and she has to deal with uh, this whole stalker thing by herself, essentially. And I think that that uh, her presence of mind and her, her steadiness are really admirable. Uh, but she is scared. She does get scared and she does sort of freak out because all the this house that she's living in has all this glass and there's nobody else nearby. It's on a small street in the country. So, you know, she starts getting worried and putting blankets and things over the windows and, you know, because there are no, no curtains. And so, you know, she's a very interesting character. And I, I think I think people will enjoy reading about her. Can you hear her? Uh, is that how you create dialogue or or do you have some other way? Uh, sometimes I do definitely channel a character who comes into my head. And I, I can't explain that process, but I know I'm not alone because I've heard other authors say the same thing. Uh, where like one day I was sitting on my deck and all of a sudden this gay tenor opera singer came floating into my head. He wouldn't go away. So I finally came in and I sat at my computer and opened a document and he just came out, his voice, everything. Uh, and that's happened to me a number of times. Uh, but in this book, I can't say that that's the case. Uh, if anything, I did hear some of the clients a little better than I heard Ellen Haskell herself, you know, so she was more of a creation rather than a channeling of sorts. Um, but it's it's sort of fun when you all of a sudden get these these characters in your head. <laughs> well, and, and so you wrote up um, journal entries from the stalker itself. How how do you um, like doing something like that, taking someone that's obviously a kind of a demented or a little bit evil or has definitely has disturbed. Issue? Definitely disturbed. Yeah. So, so how do, you, so what do you do to get yourself in the right frame of mind? Um, read Dave's book, or <laughs> well, one of one of the tricks about writing the journal entries was not to give anything away, but to give something away to to provide clues about the obsessive nature of this 
you know, problem that the character has. So it was a very fine balance between the two, between being open and, and reporting as one would in a journal versus uh, saying too much and, and making it too obvious who the stalker is. Interestingly enough, uh, I've had a couple of therapist friends read this book and they haven't figured out the identity of the stalker. So I felt really pretty happy with myself to tell you the truth. Um, but this is a challenge. There are little, little hints and little clues, but I, uh, I, I, I think the readers are going to have fun trying to figure out the identity of this, this person. That's, that's, it's, it's strange, eh? So what do you hope that, so what are the, what do you hope that the reader gets out of the book, uh, after they read it? Um, well, it doesn't have any really large themes, except for the fact that I, I think the example that Dr. Ellen Haskell sets is is really a good one. And I think it's a very good portrayal of a therapist because at, at, at a therapist's best. And in that sense, I think it, it, it uh, advances the the opinion of people for, you know, psychotherapy and the whole profession. And I think that, the, you know, the, there is a, a story about, you know, getting through something really traumatic and then starting again. So that sense of renewal, which happens at the very beginning of the book when she's dealt with a trauma at the very, very beginning. And then this sort of traumatic kind of thing repeats in a different fashion. So in a sense that renewal and you know, sticking sticking to your life and just keep trying. That kind of theme is is definitely through the book. Well, that theme or subtext. Now, do you do you start with a theme like that and create a story, or do you have the story, or did you start with your characters and decide how you're going to, you know, work them? Well, I I really was very interested in the whole stalking phenomenon, which was actually just really hitting the ground in in 1992. And in fact, there in New Jersey here, there were no laws yet against stalking, but there were in California and a few other places. Uh, so this was relatively a new uh, problem that was really becoming recognized. I mean, there were celebrity stalkers and, you know, these were, you know, hitting the, hit the rag sheets. But also this is just becoming more a part of our consciousness in terms of the country. Uh, so I think I was starting out with the premise of what if a therapist acquires a follower and what kind of follower would that be and what kind of psychological makeup, what kind of history would that person have? This particular one is an erotomaniac, which is, is not what it sounds like. It's not necessarily sexual. It is just an obsessive um, following like um you know, religious cult or, you know, some of the other other things similar to that uh, or the, the impulse to set fire to buildings, you know, any of these kinds of obsessive uh, types of um, psychological issues. And so I really started with the stalking idea and then immediately jumped right into the therapist as being the person who would be uh, the stalker would be attached to. Do you think about, like, I don't know, because you're saying slow burn suspense. So is the action or violence that you put into a book, um, are you conscious of how much of it you do or what kind of, like, how you describe it? There's, you know, really, uh, there. most of the scenes are, are sort of eerie or creepy, but they're not necessarily violent. 
there is one scene, but uh, I try to be a little careful about that. I'm not a, a blood and gore writer, <laughs> uh, which I think is more of the case for your thriller or, you know, the the big best-selling types of uh, suspense novels. And this book is a little quieter, maybe even a little more literary in a sense that it's very character-oriented. But, you know, there is some, because of those journal entries, there's that sense of, uh, you know, uneasy quality to the whole book. So I don't, you know, I wouldn't say this is really a violent book except for maybe one scene. Well, when when you put yourself into something like this and you go through you know you're you're kind of living out the details of of the stalker of the doctor all the sessions the different characters and you kind of live through this whole experience as you're writing it at the end of it but when you look back um do, do you feel like it's changed you in some way uh that's a good question i'm not sure um don't know that it has uh I think it just reminded me that I really love the psychological aspects of writing a character and that, you know, I've written you know about five books in the psychological suspense category out of the 13 books I've published, uh, traditionally published. And one that's a sort of a literary suspense, if you can, if there is such a thing. Um, so I think that there's definitely a, a fascination with the way people think and how they behave and how their history, uh, their parents, their backgrounds affect their adulthood and, and their lives. And I have written some about teenagers or younger adults, so they're in the process. And these books have, you know, I think have have been very interesting to write for me. And I've written a couple that were a little more autobiographical, like Once Upon an Island, which is set in St. Croix. And that book was very nostalgic because I was there in 1965 when the setting um, takes place. And it was like really going back in time for me. So that that book affected me much more than this one did. But I think this one is not only a good read, but I think it's also fascinating because of the presentations of the various sessions and the clients. So it, it, did you come across any people out there or, or people you know uh, that you've been inspired or have inspired some of the characters you've written? Here are a few people that I very, very loosely based, uh, maybe on looks more than anything else. Uh, yeah, maybe a few, but not not anybody that is succinctly um, copied from real life. Uh, I, you know, I think you've got to be really careful about that because somebody's going to notice that. And so I try to avoid that if I can. Uh, so, yeah. I was hoping for some names, and then we could maybe get them on the line. <laughs> no. no. No, no, So do you think you're a little bit, you, you write more dialogue heavy, or do you think it's more description heavy? How do you describe your writing? Well, this book, needless to say, has quite a bit of dialogue in it. Uh, there is also quite a bit of narrative because she's on her own and she's thinking a lot and not only reviewing the sessions and, and thinking about her various people that she's uh, involved with, but also about her life and process and living alone and, and you know, wondering when she's going to meet somebody and, you know, that kind of thing. Um yeah, the, there is a lot of dialogue in this book, and that was something that was very difficult to write, because I said it has to really track with the person, and it has to be the kind of 
thing, like there's a, a high school student. So you've got to sort of write from that perspective. You know, one that's very dreamy and, and another character is very dreamy and, you know, just sort of wafty. And she's, um, you can't quite tell what, what really has happened to her over the week. You know, she's sort of vague. So that, you know, she's going to talk completely differently than the, the high school, the girl in high school. Um, so each of these characters is very different. And so dialogue really has to capture in a nutshell that, that person. Yeah. Do you have a trick to making it sound real? Like I know in some cases, like, cause we, we do the noir and I know that people read and sometimes the dialogue when it doesn't, it doesn't sound real when it's read out. Do you read out your dialogue out loud or do you have kind of a, do you play act? dress up or like what <laughs> um you just want to get trick? me certifiable i can tell <laughs> i do yeah i've got i've got the doctor on line three right now okay let's do that no yeah let's do that let's get into therapy no i'm just wondering if you do you have a, a certain way of make trying to make sure your dialogue's real or is it does it just work for you uh I occasionally will read something out loud, but it seems to me I, I hear my dialogue pretty well. One of the things I tend to do, which I'm always battling with myself, is I tend to truncate dialogue too much. So the normal pattern that two people would have uh, is usually a little more expanded than I I write it first. So, and I tend to be reserved. Um, that's my upbringing and my parents, and we just weren't the touchy feely family. And so, as a result, <clears throat> expressing anger or any negative emotions is much harder for me to write than um, just sort of average dialogue. So, I have I struggle a little with that, and I'm constantly sort of yelling at myself to. You know, get more involved, roll up my sleeves, and and get into the uh, person's head that that's talking. Yeah, there's always yeah, because you got to make sure it's right. You know, um, it has to read right. So, so what are you working on now? Like, what's going on under the scenes? You said you had a lot going on. Are, are you working on another book right now? Yes, I am. Um, which was written about the same time as the Psychologist Shadow. And it's been under my bed, under the mattress, all these years since about 1993. And when I, uh, when Andrew May at, at Spectrum, uh, this actually is a, an Enigma book, which is a, an imprint of Spectrum books. And this is the first book in the new series. When he took four, four manuscripts, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I don't have anything to do. So I rushed uh, to pull this out. And I thought, oh, my God, this is just awful. <laughs> I mean, point of view perspective uh, switches in the middle of a paragraph. And, oh, my God, even the formatting was terrible. So I almost threw it across the room and said, forget it. And then I decided, well, wait a minute. It is a good plot. So let's just stick to it. So I have been suffering through this this huge manuscript very complicated with multiple characters the police are involved and this is a murder mystery so that's what i've been working on it's based on a town near me called fair haven which is lovely a lovely ironic name for a murder mystery location so that's what i'm working on now and i've been trying to cut it because i think it's too big but i can't seem to do that so it's been a real frustration, um, and then I, I thought I was doing pretty well, and then I went, I met with a, a retired police officer from Fairhaven who set me straight on a bunch of things, and then I also encountered uh, a prosecutor for our county 
who is also retired, and he told me a whole bunch of things about who would be at the crime scene, who would lead the investigation. Oh, my God, it just completely messed me up. So I've had to do a huge amount of rewriting on this one. I hope I can finish it. I think I will. Yeah, it just it, it seems impossible and that it all kind of works out, right? Usually, yeah. I, I've never I've never really given up on anything when I have the, a first draft. Yeah, it, it all has its different time in life, you know, and, and it works. When you go back to something like that, too, an older older draft, it's, um, you know, what you were writing like in 1990s uh, compared to now will be completely different. You know what I mean? Like you've got a lot more experience now. Yeah. No, I, I just I, I just cursed at myself all the way through reading this thing at the beginning. I just couldn't believe I was <laughs> didn't know know so many things. I mean, even even to do the manuscript in one and a half line spaces instead of two. I mean, unbelievable. Um, it was just it was just horrific for me to to do this, and it just really took a lot of grit for me to sit down and fix this thing. You fired yourself several times. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, that's enough. You know, can't take it. Well, that's cool. So listen, um, you do um, websites, social media. Do you like to interact with readers? And if you do, how do you like to do that? I do. I'm on uh, uh, X or, tw or Twitter. I'm on Instagram, although I don't post as often there. And mostly I'm on Facebook. Uh, LinkedIn and um, you know various other places, and my website is my it's basically my name, um, Laurie A. Egan. And so anybody can uh, come and see the various books that I've done, which is say quite a few novels, but also a story collection and four volumes of poetry. So um, I, I've, I've been busy. <laughs> yeah, always. When you when you bring back a, a story from the '90s, something like that. Is it hard to bring the the characters in the book back to life, like to to reconnect with them? Yeah, a little bit, but I, you know, it was more the the writing style and the yeah, that was where I was really banging my head against the wall when I tried to go back and fix this. The characters I thought were pretty smartly done, uh, but I improved them in in each case uh, on this you know current version of the book. Uh, so I I I. I really thought that the you know the book was finished. I mean, I had gone through it about five or six times already, and I will go through you know normally I go through a manuscript thirty to forty times before I you know send it to a publisher. So uh, which is what I did again. So this one you know really got got worked over. What's the biggest challenge do you think for writing for you? Uh, Perfectionism, maybe. I, as I say, yeah. I, I tend to I tend to be really finicky. And my my background was I was a book designer at Princeton University Press for many years, and worked with uh, about twenty other publishers as a freelancer. Later, all university presses for the most part. So the sense of excellence that um, I learned there, and also at Carnegie Mellon, where I did an undergraduate degree. Um, I really feel like uh, what I expect from myself is pretty, pretty tough, uh, you know, where the commas are right. And, you know, I just, as I say, I go over these things 30 to 40 times and I, I don't know um, if they're any the better for it, but I really try hard. So my biggest thing is just really trying 
to 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 get this as you know the manuscript in the best shape I possibly can. And you know my publisher tells me my work is the, the cleanest of anything that he receives, which is really a nice compliment. But you know I really I really try to get things right, although it's very very difficult. Oh yeah, yeah I know it's a it's a process. It's a lot of work. You know, well that's fantastic. Okay, so now the book, The Psychologist's Shadow. And it's a simmering, slow burn suspense. And our guest is the author of that book, Laurie A. Egan. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Alan and Dave. It was a pleasure as always. Thanks, Laurie. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.